Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you would open up a Bible to Mark, the fourth chapter. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be reading from momentarily. We're going to read one verse there, but actually we're going to just kind of use that as our base of operations for the entirety of the lesson. And so maybe just place your marker in Mark chapter 4 as we're just going to work that passage over the course of the next few minutes. It is a beautiful Lord's Day morning in South Central Kentucky, and I'm so glad to have the opportunity to get to open up the Scriptures with you and to talk about things that I deem to be of just tremendous eternal importance. And I want to just get right to it. In Mark, the fourth chapter, I want to read right here in the middle of what is referred to as often as the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. Notice with me, if you will, in verse 15. In Mark 4 and in verse 15, there Jesus says, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. I don't know how you've been handling the lack of sports during the coronavirus pandemic. I've been able to to manage just fine. However, I am sad and disappointed that tomorrow night Our beloved Kentucky Wildcats will not be playing for the national championship. In fact, I'm really disappointed that just March Madness as a whole isn't happening and hasn't been happening because that is my favorite sporting event of the entire calendar year. There's just nothing quite like an NCAA college basketball game, especially during the tournament. There's always all kinds of upsets and unpredictability, and in particular, all of those close, close games. I love watching those close games that go right down to the wire, the kind of games that are decided by maybe just one or two points. I love it when teams play right down to the very last possession. And the reason that I like those games is because I like strategy. I do. I like seeing what the coaches are going to do when they come up with their plays. Here's the coach on the defensive end, and what's he going to decide? Going to run a maybe a 2-3 zone, maybe straight up man-to-man. And then, of course, the guy over here on the offensive side, he's got to make some plays for his team. And so maybe the strategy is going to be uh, some kind of a backdoor cut or a pick-and-roll. I love that because then when the ref blows the whistles... It's up to the players now to execute that game plan. I just love that, the strategy and the counter strategy and all the planning that goes into winning a tight college basketball game. In fact, much of the drama and the excitement that comes from those games really can be credited to those good coaches who've made adjustments and tweaks and changes along the way that affect the ebb and the flow of the game. At the end of the game, though, we just want our team to have studied and prepared well and developed a game plan, a strategy, that will help them to be successful on the court. I wonder, though, I wonder if you and I are as interested in discovering the devil's strategy. Because isn't that what Jesus just got done telling us about there in Mark chapter 4 and verse 15? Jesus says there that God's doing some things, and as God's trying to get His will done, the devil's out there trying to just mess it all up. God's sowing the message, the very Word of God, And as fast as God is getting that done, the devil is there with a counter strategy to try and frustrate the work of God. In a very real way, what Jesus is doing here in Mark chapter 4 is he is giving us a sneak peek into Satan's playbook. 
He is letting us look at the game plan that the devil uses to hinder God's plan. Have you ever thought about this text in this way? As Jesus outlines for us the parable of the sower, He is talking to us about tactics and strategy. But of course, He's not talking about something so unimportant as a ball game. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus is talking here in Mark chapter 4 about what the devil is doing to try and destroy your soul. You talk about some high stakes. Are you interested in knowing what Jesus tells us in Mark 4 about the devil's game plan? I want to work through the parable of the sower this morning to talk about what the devil is doing to try and keep you and I from going to heaven. And that begins just back up in the beginning of the text. In Mark 4, would you back up to verse 3? In verse 3 is when the parable begins in proper. Jesus says there, listen. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Now, we're not left scratching our heads. Boy, I wonder what Jesus is talking about there because Jesus gives the explanation of the parable a little further down. Would you drop down to verse 14? Jesus says, The sower sows the Word. And these are the ones along the path where the Word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the Word that is sown in them. Let's just start right there. Because Jesus says that the devil does indeed have a plan and part of that plan is for the Word to stay out. That's what the devil wants. Plan A, he wants to keep the Word from ever getting in. He wants it to stay out. You realize that Jesus isn't really talking about birds here. No, he's talking about the activity of the devil and how he takes the Word away and keeps it from making any kind of dent, any kind of impression at all. The question is, how does he do that? You know, clearly Jesus is not talking about some kind of miraculous thing that the devil does, where here's a person who maybe they really, really want to hear and receive the Word, but somehow the devil miraculously prevents them from receiving it. That's, that's not what's going on here. What Jesus talks about here, I believe, are the kinds of things that the devil does, that a person does to cooperate with the devil. Here's a person who is working with the devil. They have submitted themselves to the devil and they are now helping the devil to accomplish his evil purposes. Somebody may be asked, well, well, how does a person cooperate with the devil? Well, let's just stop and think about a few areas. For example, how about how Satan fills people's hearts with prejudices? Prejudices against, against the Bible. Prejudices against the church, prejudices against, against God Himself. You know, here's a person who maybe they've been taught something all of their life. This is what they just grew up believing. And so these are these ideas that they have. Maybe somebody that they just really, really trusted told them these things. And they just don't want to ever even think differently. They don't want to investigate the truth for themselves. They simply just accept what they've been told. And I'm just going to kind of remain ignorant about anything else so that I can keep believing what I want to believe and doing what I want to do. In fact, if you just look back up in the text in Mark 4, I think you'll see that Jesus was already dealing with some prejudiced listeners, even as He told the parable. Back up to verse 10. When Jesus was alone, those around Him with the twelve asked Him about the parables. And He said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, 
But for those outside, everything is in parables, verse 12, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. These Jews, many of which I think is probably directed mostly at the Pharisees, they saw, they heard, but the Word didn't penetrate into their hearts because they were holding on to a bunch of preconceived ideas, a bunch of prejudices. And you know what? That kind of thing still happens today. It does. Folks say things all the time that make clear that they have prejudicial understandings. Folks say things all the time like, don't you know all Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites? Really? Really? All Christians are hypocrites? What about all of those guys in ages and centuries past who died, who gave up their life for their faith? Yeah, those guys were nothing but a bunch of manipulators giving their life for the cause of Christ. How can someone say every Christian is a hypocrite? Or what about people who say things like, oh, the Bible. The Bible's just a big collection of myths and fairy tales and made-up stuff. Really? Really? How do you know that? What investigations have you done to decipher the Bible's veracity? What is it that's caused you to come to that logical conclusion? Have you actually read the Bible for yourself? Have you actually done some study and some research so that you can come to an honest conclusion? Or what about this wonderful little prejudice? I hear this from time to time. People say things like, oh, you down there in the church of Christ. You church of Christers. You think you're the only ones going to heaven amongst many other things that get said about us. What a wretched misconception. That's not a true representation of what we believe and what we teach at all. But of course, if your heart and your mind is filled up with all kinds of prejudices and preconceived ideas, well then you're never going to be receptive to other ideas. You're never going to be receptive to the truth. The devil's plan will have worked. Because the Word is going to stay out of your heart. But what about some of the other ways that the devil keeps the Word out of people's hearts? Well, what about this? What about, what about doubts? What about doubts? Doubts is a big one. Would you step out of Mark? Hold your place there for a moment. Look over in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer there speaks about some preaching that failed... And he tells us why that preaching failed. In Hebrews chapter 4, look in verse 2. In Hebrews 4 verse 2, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message did not benefit them because it did not meet with faith in the hearers. More and more today, people are receiving the good news of the gospel but they are receiving it with skepticism and with doubt instead of greeting it with faith and with trust. And you think about that. Think about the evolutionists in our world, learned men, scientists and historians who just feel like they've just got this all figured out because they're always trying to disprove the validity of the Bible trying to disprove the existence of God, trying to disprove the truth about creation. The theory of evolution is taught in our schools as if it was just a scientific fact. Books gain popularity like the Da Vinci Code and and, and the Gospel of Judas. and They garner all kinds of national press and attention. 
And all of these things, they create a storm in our world and in people's minds that cause them to feel very uncertain about Christianity. It causes them to, to be very unclear about the gospel. It causes them to be unsure about Jesus the Christ. Can I ask you, who do you think is responsible for that? Who do you think is behind that? Who do you think it is that's planting all of those seeds of doubt? It's the devil, isn't it? He is working very, very hard to undermine people's faith so that the Word stays out. And maybe I ought to say one more thing in this connection. Maybe I ought to say something about how the devil just confuses people in order to keep the Word from getting in. You know, what happens when you've got all of these different churches and they all go by different names and they're all doing different things and they're all teaching different things. What do you get? What's the end result of that? The end result is you have mass confusion. I mean, here's someone who maybe is searching for the Lord and searching for truth. Well, well where do you even begin? I mean, where do you even start? Who can you trust? There's so many religious entities and bodies out there, so many different ideologies being floated around. How do you even sort through all of that mess? And what the devil convinces people is that, you know what? You can't. You can't sort through it all. It's just too hard. It's just too difficult. Nobody can really understand the Scriptures. We can't understand it all alike. There's no way that you can really know what's the right thing and what's the wrong thing. The devil throws out all of these conflicting doctrines so that people, even if they were shown the truth, they wouldn't recognize it. They wouldn't even know the truth even if they saw it. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. Step out of Mark again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in what I personally deem to be one of the most frightening passages in all of Scripture, in 2 Corinthians 4 and in verse 3, Paul writes, Even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled only to those who are perishing. What's the problem, verse 4? In their case, the God of this world, Satan, the devil, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The devil goes to extraordinary lengths to see to it that the word stays out. Now, those of us who are Christians, I think we understand these points and we think about them in relation to our, to our non-Christian friends and people that we know, our relatives and our, our neighbors and our co-workers and we're concerned about those things and we want to try to help break down some of those strategies of the devil so that the Word can get in. But can I say just a quick word here before I leave this first point? To those of us who are believers, let me just ask you, how do you think the devil feels about you right now listening to the preaching of the Word of God? How do you think he feels about that? How do you think the devil is going to feel about you making plans at 6 o'clock later this evening to sit down and study the Word of God with your brethren once again? How do you think the devil feels about you allocating time on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock so that you can study the Word of God with your brothers and sisters in Christ. How does he feel about that? I'll tell you exactly how he feels about that. He hates it. He cannot stand the thought 
of you listening to God's Word, Bible open, following along, engaged, participating in the preaching and the teaching of the Word. He absolutely hates that. Which is why if you choose not to be where God's people are going to be when the Word is being taught, when you choose not to open up that Bible throughout the week, when you choose not to set aside focused time for you and the Lord through His Word, then what that means is, is that means that you will have cooperated with the devil in helping to keep the Word out of your heart. That is his plan. That is Satan's first line of attack. He wants the Word to stay Go back to Mark chapter 4. Let's read a little bit further. That's plan A. Well, what's the devil do when plan A doesn't work? Well, let's keep reading in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Jesus says there, "...other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away." Now the explanation is given on down in verse 16. Jesus continues in verse 16, These are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves. So they endure for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And so Jesus says that much to the devil's dismay, he cannot keep the word from getting into every single heart. In fact, there are some people who are so pricked by the word immediately that they respond to it. It affects them. They do something about that, which is exactly why Satan has this second plan, plan B. And that is that if he cannot make the word stay out, then he will do everything in his power to get you to drop out. The devil will pull out all of the stops in hopes that you will leave the Lord. And in many cases, what that means is, is that means he's going to turn up the heat. You know, Jesus' audience here in Palestine, they would have understood precisely what he was talking about. In Palestine, much of the land has about, about two or three inches of topsoil. And directly under that is limestone solid bedrock. Farmers were very familiar with the idea of the rocky ground. You plant some seed in that kind of soil and the sun warms it up a little bit and yeah, you might get a little sprig and something will spring up immediately. You'll get a little bit of green there. But then since it can't get down and get any kind of real root to it because there's all that rock underneath it, what's going to happen to that little sprig? That little sprig's just going to end up withering away under the heat of the scorching sun. And Jesus uses that metaphor to show us that the devil does not accept defeat easily. Yes, maybe the Word gets in. Yes, maybe the Word is initially accepted. Yes, maybe the Word is obeyed and it does produce a Christian. But what the devil's going to try to do is he's going to try to make you a shallow Christian. The kind of Christian who will never see it through all the way to the very end. What he wants to do is he wants to induce spiritual failure. He wants you to drop out. Because what the devil knows is he knows that it's a whole lot easier to get started in the Christian race than it is to finish that race. 
One brother noted the following. He said, In my estimation, it takes about a 5% effort to win a man to Christ. But it takes a 95% effort to keep him in Christ and growing in maturity in the Lord. And I believe that Jesus probably would agree with those numbers. Many begin the Christian walk, but they don't finish it. And you know, I'm afraid that that dropout problem, right now you can probably think of, and I am thinking of people that I have known who have stopped serving the Lord. And I worry that sometimes that dropout problem is partially, partially, it's partially our fault. Many times when we talk with people about about the Bible and about becoming a Christian, I fear that we don't do a really, really good job of telling them up front about the commitment that that requires of them. And maybe the reason we don't do that is because we're afraid that that's going to be just just too much for them to handle. They're going to get offended by that. They might get scared off by that. When we start telling them things about, about hardship or about adversity as a Christian, And so as a result, we don't show them verses like 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 that talks about persecution as a Christian. We don't show them 1 Peter 4 16 that talks about suffering as a Christian. And we don't clue folks in on a real fundamental level about passages like Luke 9 23 or Luke 14 33 where Jesus demands wholehearted, whole life service and dedication to His call. I'm afraid that sometimes we, and when I say we, I mean I, we just don't do a very good job of getting people ready for the difficulties and the challenges that await true disciples. And as a result, there are many people who they see the benefits of becoming a Christian. Hey, that salvation thing, that going to heaven thing, man, that sounds really, really great. And so they jump headlong into Christianity with really great intentions. But as soon as some trouble enters into the picture, As soon as some of those tribulations arise, they give up. They flame out and they quit. Now even as I say that maybe we do shoulder some of that blame for not doing a good enough job of teaching, I I want to say ultimately at the end of the day, the fault lies not with us. The fault lies with the person who gave up. It is the heart of the one who is receiving the word. In fact, that is where Jesus places the emphasis in the parable. That the word gets in, but ah, it doesn't get very deep in there. The word does not have that life-transforming effect on them. Certainly it might affect them a little. Maybe we're able to see some some minor changes on the outside, but, but they don't allow the word to sink deep and continue to sink deeply so that it can be heart changing. This is an individual who has very shallow faith. And of course, as long as everything is going well, as long as everything is smooth sailing, hey, shallow faith will work. It will when there's sunshine and rainbows and everything's good. Hey, shallow faith, it'll get you places. But that's exactly when the devil sees to it that things don't go very well. That's when the devil starts to put up some of those barriers. He starts creating some of those problems. He starts throwing down the gauntlet of temptations. He starts bringing people into our lives who begin to laugh and to ridicule and mock us for our stand for truth and for purity. 
He then creates problems maybe in our workplace where the boss is asking us to do things that once upon a time, because we really didn't have any sense of ethics and morals, well, we had a problem doing those things. But now, because I'm in Jesus Christ, well, now I'm having to think twice about that, and my job is now being placed in jeopardy. This is when things like the disappointment and maybe even the discouragement of our own brethren causes folks to second-guess their walk with Jesus Christ. And as the devil gradually turns up the heat, as he helps us to make little compromises here and cutting some corners over there, our defenses are weakened, our spirituality dries up, and before you know it, before you know it, you're not even trying to serve the Lord anymore. The devil will have succeeded in getting you to drop out. Can I just say very pointedly a word of application to parents and to grandparents and really to anybody that has an influence on kids? Parents, don't you think that somewhere along the way we want to help prepare our children for the reality that being a Christian can be tough? That yes, it's a wonderful life. It is the abundant life. But Jesus never promised that it would always be easy. That sometimes as a Christian what that means is, is that means you're going to be left out. That people will make fun of you. You will find it hard to do the right thing from time to time. Don't we want to then emphasize to our children some of those anchor points of faith about the truth of Scripture, the existence of God, the resurrection of Jesus, some of those fundamental things that do not ever go away no matter what people say and no matter what the devil does. I'm afraid that parents who do not do a good job of preparing their kids for the hardships of Christianity, they're setting their kids up for certain failure. They're essentially handing their children over to the devil and the devil will do his thing and the devil will get them to drop out. We want to be ready. And we want to help others to be ready so that when the devil does start cranking up the heat, we won't be caught off guard by that. We won't fall away. Instead... We'll stand firm in the Lord. It doesn't stop there, though. As you turn back to Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells us that Satan's playbook has at least one more big page in it. In Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, Jesus talks there about the thorny ground. Mark 4 verse 7, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Drop down now to verse 18. Jesus explains that. He says, Others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enters in and chokes the word and it proves unfruitful. Jesus says that if Satan can't cause the word to stay out and if he can't get you to just drop out, then he's going to work on you, plan C, to just fizzle out. You talk about persistence. Here the devil's tried some of these more overt and frontal assaults and he found that that didn't work. And so now what he's going to do is he's going to try a more, a more subtle approach where here's a person who, who actually seems to be growing a little bit. And maybe they even have a sense about them that, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pretty good Christian. I've, I've got things together. I'm not out doing big, scandalous, terribly sinful things. I'm not out just living it up like a pagan. Hey, I'm not quitting the Lord. Hey, look at me. I'm doing well. But almost without notice, 
Something rather insidious is happening. Because while that person thinks that they're growing a little bit, other things are growing around them. Weeds are growing. The cares and concerns of the world, the deceit and the pursuit of riches, other things, Jesus says, those things are sprouting up as well. And at first, at first it looks like no real problem. I mean, come on, one dandelion out in the middle of the yard? I mean, who really worries about one? I know I don't worry about one dandelion in the middle. A thousand dandelions in the middle of my yard, I'm not really concerned about that. But then suddenly, that one dandelion, before you know it, it becomes an entire forest of thistles and thorns. Every other kind of weed is competing for space in our heart and space in our life. I want you to pay particular attention to what is not said here in the text. Did you notice that in the first two illustrations, the first two soils, what you get is you get no plant. Did you see that? With the wayside or the path. The seed doesn't get in, so nothing grows at all. You get no plant. Then in the second illustration, the rocky ground, the seed gets in, and maybe it does produce a little sprig, but it soon withers and it dies, and you don't get a fruit-bearing plant. In the third illustration, Jesus doesn't say that you get no plant. No, what He says is He says you get a lame and weak plant. A plant that's just kind of there, just kind of flopping and standing in the field. It's taking up space. It's being blown around by everything. And it's not accomplishing anything. Why? Because it's not bearing fruit. Can I just ask you right now, Christian? Honestly, ask yourself. Are you bearing fruit in the kingdom of God? Or is it possible that the cares and the concerns and the pursuits of this world are actually causing you to fizzle out? Think about it right now. If Jesus returned at this moment and He said, Hey, let's just count up. Let's just gather your sheaves. Let's just see what you've done and what kind of fruit you've been able to produce for the kingdom of God what would you have to show Him? I'm certainly not trying to advance some idea of of some kind of works-based salvation where we've got to do all of this stuff in order for Jesus to accept us into heaven. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm just talking about as Christians, what are we doing in our service to the Lord? If the Lord said, let's look at all of the things that you have had at your disposal throughout your life, would the Lord be looking at a big gigantic pile of money and talent and time and effort and resources that were being spent on worldly pursuits instead of investing those things wisely in building up the kingdom of God. Can I just sharpen on that very quickly? Let me just ask you about your, about your recreation and your entertainment. We've all got a lot of extra time on our hands right now. What are we doing with that extra time? You know, last Monday, Monday, for those of you that don't know, that's, that's usually the preacher's day off. Most preachers that I know use Monday as kind of their Saturday. And so last Monday, I sat at home and I really didn't do much of anything. What I did is I watched about six hours worth of documentary movies. That's how I spent Monday afternoon. That's about 25% of the day spent watching documentary movies. Now, that wasn't a necessity like eating or sleeping or doing the laundry. No, that's just something that I did for my own pleasure, my own enjoyment, and my own fun. 
What if some brethren in the congregation, though, had said, hey, you know that Zoom app that we use to get all the kids together for a Bible class? Hey, could we do that as adults? Let's all plan on Monday afternoon or Monday evening. Let's all get on that Zoom thing and have a Bible study with each other. We can interact and see each other's faces and talk and let's just talk about the Word of God. What if I had heard that and I had said, oh, man, come on. It's my day off. I want to watch documentary movies. Come on, I don't really want to do that. No way, I'm not going to give up my free day. Do you see? Do you see how easy it is to allow the cares of this world to choke out and to crowd out the priorities of the kingdom of God? It's certainly not saying that watching documentary movies or going to ball games or whatever else that we do for recreation, that those things are bad or sinful in and of themselves. But it is the kind of thing that ought to cause us to just pause and to think about whether or not we are fruitful disciples. The easy thing to do is to be that flimsy little plant out in the middle of the field who decides, yeah, I'll do that worship thing a little bit on Sundays. I'll pray every now and then. I'll read the Bible every once in a while. But you know what? It's something entirely different to be a mature, full-grown plant that is dependable and strong and is regularly bearing fruit for the Master. And the truth of the matter is, the devil will settle for you being a weak little plant. What he'd rather have is he'd rather have the Word stay out altogether. And if he can't get that to happen, he'd rather have you just quit entirely. But you know what? If he can get you to fizzle out as a Christian, to be a weak, mediocre Christian, then he'll be plenty happy. I think about what Jesus says in John 15 about the branches that don't bear fruit. John 15 verse 6, Jesus says that those branches are going to be pruned, and they're going to be thrown in the fire. And the devil will be plenty satisfied for you and I to be a branch just like that. That is the devil's plan for you. To be useless and to be fruitless in the kingdom of God. Now, we've spent the majority of our time this morning talking so much about Satan's game plan. And it really wouldn't be fair to just end there without saying a word about the Lord's game plan. And in fact, that's how Jesus finishes the parable. Would you finish it with me? In Mark 4 verse 8, Jesus says, Other seeds fell into good soil, and they produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. He gives the explanation down in verse 20 when he says, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, and they accept it, and they bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Jesus says that God's got a plan, and that plan is to get His Word in, and to have it stay in, and to bear fruit for Him and His name. And I want you to know that God has given us everything that we would ever possibly need in order to do just that. He has given us His Word the Bible. He has given us our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us and to help us. He's given us the amazing power of prayer that can be accessed and utilized at any time. He's given us all the things that He does just providentially behind the scenes that we don't even see and we don't even know. We have God's help to fight off temptation and the wiles of the devil. It's really not even a contest. 
What God has done far outweighs everything that the devil could possibly do. God's plan more than matches the devil's plan. It just comes down, it just comes down to what we want to do. Isn't that right? Because isn't that where the parallel with the soils in the story, isn't that where the parallel starts to break down? You know, those three soils in the parable, the soil can't say, hey, break us up. We got all these rocks in here. Can you clear these rocks out? The soil can't say, hey, there's all these thorns. Can you pull those out of us? Because we want to receive the seed. We want to have that. No. The soil can't say that. The soil is just, it's just dirt. Our hearts, on the other hand, our hearts are not dirt. We get to choose. We are made in the image of God. And that means that we must decide. We must decide to be good soil. I have to decide that I will hear and accept the Word. I will take that deep into my heart. I will develop my own robust faith that will stand in the face of adversity. I will put kingdom's priority first in my life. I will bear fruit in the kingdom. I can choose to let God work His plan, a plan that ultimately leads to heaven, or I can allow the devil to work His wicked plan that results in eternal pain and destruction. But make no mistake about it. I have to choose. You have to choose. In fact, that's why Jesus ends the parable in verse 9 with His signature statement, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, Jesus is saying, the ball is in your court. You have to decide. Jesus tells us, doesn't He? He tells us exactly what the devil is up to. He tells us everything that we need to know so that we're not caught flat-footed and we're not caught unprepared. Let me ask you now. Are you going to let the devil, the God of this world, Satan, are you going to let him have his way with you? Are you just going to just roll over and let him just run all over you and drag your soul away to hell and to destruction? Or, or will you let the Lord have his way with you as the careful potter that he is so that He can grow you and mold you into a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, so that one day you can go and live with Him for all of eternity. Which of those two game plans is going to win your soul? Let's pray about that. Would you pray with me? Our dear gracious God, we come before You, Lord, sobered, as Jesus has given us such a realistic look at the devil, and what it is that He wants to do to try and to destroy us. We ask, Father, that as we think about these things, that You would bless us and that You would help us to have a strong and sturdy faith so that we are able to withstand His attacks. We ask, Father, that You give us the kind of honesty of heart so that we can receive Your Word deeply. And we ask, Father, that You take the necessary action, as hard as it may be, to prune our lives so that we're not chasing and being choked by the cares and the distractions of this world. Help us, Father, that we can bear fruit for the kingdom and for your glory, for your name. We ask all of these blessings and all of these favors in the name of your precious Son, Jesus, and amen.